Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. That seems like a bad job. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Let me show you how much mommy's got it. With Margaret Abels and Amy Wilson. Use real words. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. There are things that can make it worse. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And today we're going to talk about talking about the news with our kids. The news. You know, the news meaning like, yeah, the bad news. It's on the news. And sometimes it's halfway around the world, which is a lot easier than when it's something that happened up the street. Like, of course, there's ages and stages involved, but there's also all these other factors, too, like how much is too much and how do you know when and how do you do it when you're really upset yourself? And that's what we want to talk about today. And I'll tell you another aspect of this that is coming up for me as my kids become 9, 11 and 12 talking to them about news that has passed in the past, you know? Yes. And we should say before we start that we are going to be talking about like some of the big disturbing news stories that are in the news because obviously that's what we're talking about. But this might not be the greatest one to listen to in front of little kids if you don't want them asking questions about like, what are they talking about there? What do they mean? Because we may be talking about some news events that are upsetting and disturbing. You know, you bring up, we always like to start with like, why is this a thing, right? Is this a thing we need to worry about? I think that it is. And part of the problem is the uh, sort of accidental exposure that our kids can have. You know, when I was growing up back in my day, it was sort of Walter Cronkite for half an hour at night, or it was the newspaper my parents might have left on the dining room table. But these days, you know, there's so much accidental exposure, almost like any kid who has a phone has a tablet or uses their parents' phone or tablet and sees the alerts come up and see things, you know, they get exposed to stuff like, what's this? A building just collapsed? You know, all the time our kids are seeing things that maybe we wouldn't have had them see had we had time to, you know, put barriers around it, but we don't because it's sort of always on. Yes, but I will also say the flip side of that is I feel like we experience news more as a family, naturally, in the old days. Because my parents would be reading the paper and being like, did you see what happened? And then they would discuss it and we would be part of that discussion and it was a little bit more natural. Now, 
like I'm having my coffee and reading CNN.com maybe and they go to school and people are talking about the building collapse and then they come home and I don't even realize they've heard about it. Exactly right. It's like we've lost. We're very siloed, I think, in our consumption of the news. And so and the last thing I want to do is bring up a terrible story to my kids when we're having a nice dinner. But I have to remember that if a building collapsed and killed, you know, however many people as has recently happened, somebody at school is almost certainly talking about that. And this is the key. Oh, yeah. I want to talk about that. It's not that your kids are not hearing about it. It's that they're hearing about it from their friends. And those stories are not reliable. Right. They are hearing and seeing things, even if it's not from us. And when it comes to older kids, we could be sitting at the dinner table and I might be talking about something that's happening. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to climate change. Right. And one of my kids could say, this is an example. This is hypothetical. I'd say like, oh my gosh, like the, when you see that the, how the heat is ravaged the Northwest. And one of my kids might say something like, yeah, the climate change isn't real. Everybody knows that. And I'll say, what, where did you hear that? And they are consuming during like YouTube ads, all kinds of stuff that you're not even aware of. And they are, as you said, we're in silos, but my kids' silos, they're getting news that they're not going looking for. It's going looking for them. It's targeted at them. And sometimes it's misinformation. And I have been surprised because it's happening on their walks to school or in their headphones in the backseat of the car. Things that they hear and assume to be true that I would have much rather had a conversation about, but didn't even know they were getting. So that's it. Our kids are being exposed, no matter what their ages are, to things that mm, concern them or aren't exactly correct. And our ability to sort of be the go-between and to have a rational conversation about it is really complicated. This is our why, because exactly, they're going to hear about things that are scary from, you know, other nine-year-olds. We used to joke because Amy was the oldest kid in her family and she was always like sitting on the fire escape, right? And being like, come here, let me tell you, tell you a thing or two about this sex thing, kids. Like, you don't want to hear it from Amy Wilson, you from nine-year-old Amy Wilson. Right. You want your kids to hear it from you. We had an event that happened in our lives where we live that was a newsworthy and extremely tragic event that actually affected some of my kids. And... It was very interesting to see firsthand how even though we had provided a lot of information to our kids because we had to, they knew what was going on, the amount of information that still got prismed and came out wrong. And I mean, months later, they would say something about it. And I would say, wait a minute, that's not what happened. We talked about what happened. And like, Mm -hmm. this is a strange version of it. And it, it was extremely educational to watch like oh this is how news travels and this happened when you know my kids were in second fourth and sixth grade so they were still pretty little and just everybody was talking about it obviously and then news just kept going more and more circular and more and more telephone and you know that's also happening with major news stories yes i mean there's a lot of as i was looking at the sort of best advice around this one of the most concrete things was this is rosemary trulio she She's a senior vice president at Sesame Workshop. And she said, if scary news is happening and it's far from home, one of the easiest and best things you can do is pull out a map. This was her suggestion, because then you can say, yes, this did happen. There was a tsunami, but it was here and we're over here. We have a globe in our sort of kitchen dining room and I pull it out all the time to show my kids where things are happening, especially when they were little. And that is a great strategy if it's something that's far away from them. 
But this is a case where you had no choice but to talk to your kids about that. Well, and I think that that's something that holding things away from your children. Yes, I see the role for that. But I also think that a mistake we make is thinking that we can always hold things away from our children. You know, I know somebody whose spouse died with young children. And I know there were people who were like, well, I don't want to tell my child this happened and or like take my child to any kind of service or memorial because I don't want my kids exposed to the fact that their parent could die. The parent could die. I would argue strongly against that thought process that like the lesson is we had many counselors who came into the school after um, this thing happened and one of the things they were saying is like this is an opportunity you would never ask for but don't skip the opportunity to walk your child to the other side of this safely because it's a very useful lesson for kids to be like I think that we have a tendency to want to tell our kids the story this will never happen to us that seems like the safe story but I think the much safer story is we can get through anything together and that sometimes we try to hold bad news far away from us and I would argue that Probably something bad is going to happen to you. Hopefully not the worst things. But I mean, I've been through something with my kids that is really, really bad and something I would never in a million years if it had happened as a news story told my kids about, you know. Right. But I think that there is a bigger lesson in saying like, look, this is how we survive this together, even though it's extraordinarily painful. So the biggest example of this for me was Newtown. 2012. So a lot of people listening, right? I mean, everybody remembers it, of course, but you might not have been a parent at that time. I was, my kids were infants. So I was a parent with three kids in school. My youngest is a year younger than the children who died. And not only that, I have a connection to it directly. I know one of the Newtown parents. So that was a story that was the like, how do you tell your kids this? Do you tell how does this come out and what if they find out i'm going to link to because back in the day it meant so much to me liz gumbiner who writes at cool mom picks she wrote a whole thing at the time that she wanted to send her kids to school it happened on a friday everybody spent the weekend many parents like me spent the weekend like hiding in the bathroom and crying because we wouldn't do it in front of the kids and like making sure the tv was off right And our kids had to go to school on Monday morning. And she wrote an essay saying she wanted her kids to go to school with a sign around their neck saying, I don't know. I don't know. And please don't tell me, you know. And I wanted to wear a sign around my neck saying, I am, you know, barely holding it together. How about you? I remember walking into the school on Monday and all the parents kind of looking at each other because it was right before Christmas. I mean, it was an intense emotional experience. And I do not. I hope I'm not sounding like I'm in any way making it about my emotional experience. It wasn't, but it was the kind of thing that I couldn't talk to my kids about without like falling apart. And that would have frightened them. And so I put it off. But that also felt very scary because I was really worried that somebody was going to talk about it at school. And that would have frightened them. Right. That's a situation that would be pretty hard to tell your kids. Don't worry. That's not about you. That couldn't happen to you. Right. It seemed including to me, supremely possible that it could happen to them. It just had. Right. And I think that anyway, I remember about a week later, like, okay, I better start with my older kid. I think he was maybe in fifth grade at the time. I better sort of feel out what he knows. And this is what's so hard, right? Like, how do you figure out what they know without telling them something you don't want them to know? And he actually said to me, I'm like, did you hear anything about a school in Connecticut? And he was like, why? And then he said, 
mom, is there something you know and you want to know if I know, but you don't want me to know? <laughs> You're like, yes, bingo, kiddo. Yes. You've got it. And I was like, yes. And I think we should stop talking about it now. Wait, you said you think you should stop talking about it now? Yeah. I said, there's something that happened and it was very scary and... I want you to feel safe about it, but I don't remember how we did it. I do remember like rolling it out very gradually with just my oldest kid. It was years before my, you know, then five-year-old knew what had happened to a bunch of six-year-olds. It didn't seem useful. Well, I am having the phenomenon now that my kids are like, there's never been a time where we were all sitting around and I was like, I guess I'll bring up, you know, the Sandy Hook shooting. You know, it's like 9-11 is another one. It happened before my kids were born. And so... It's like, is there ever a day where I want to be like, so here's this really horrifying thing that happened, but I kind of feel like I've missed the boat a little bit on bringing those things up at all because now they hear about them at school. Yes. And I don't know. I think I've learned over the years that leaning in on things and providing more information, even though it's scary that I want the majority of information to come from me. And so I lean in and I did have this experience where I had to tell my kids some very, very horrifying news. And I would have given somebody a million dollars to not have to say it. But all I can say, and again, this was not something that involved me personally, and I am not trying to borrow someone else's tragedy, but it did affect my kids. And I asked for a lot of advice from people I knew about how to do it. And they were like, frankest words possible, and then answer the questions that come up. And I think that is sort of my North Star for how to handle things that happen in the news. You know, I think that's right. I think we should take a break. When we come back, let's talk about how to know when it is okay to talk about it and how we kind of get started. Good. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses, first two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? Say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while 
still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Okay, we're back, Amy. When is it okay to talk about it? You know, I like some good advice. So Common Sense Media talked about the sort of ways to approach this with your kids, talked to a bunch of experts, and they said, hot take, that we should wait until kids are seven before exposing them to traumatic information. If you're lucky. I mean, I did not have that experience. <laughs> well, that's right. You did not. Right. You had no choice. But this is the, uh, yeah, the building collapsed far away from us and it can never happen to you. Don't worry. Yeah. Kids that young... And I think this has to come into it because there are times when we're going to have to. But if your kid is seven or under, you know, they still have a hard time differentiating between what's near and what's far, what's possible and what's improbable, what's real and what's fake. You know, they have a hard time with that stuff. And so it is better, Common Sense Media argues, to keep this traumatic sort of information from kids seven and under. But if you can't, that you need to start with safety that you need to start with, you are safe, because they're also completely self-centered. They're children, right? Their brains are like, how does this affect me? And because anything can happen in a six-year-old's world, right? They, Of course, it's going to come down to like my personal safety. Could this happen to me? And so you do need to lead with, you are safe. Yes. This didn't happen to you. And you're right. Sometimes you can't say this won't happen to you. If you can, you should. If you can't, then that gets a little more tricky. Well, and I think it is absolutely fair to say this is an extremely unusual thing that happened because that is the truth. The fact of the world is that anything can happen to anyone at any time, but it is still extraordinarily rare. It doesn't, I mean, school shootings are an example of something that should happen never, but are still an extraordinarily rare experience for any given person in the United States. It is very, very unlikely that you will be involved in a school shooting, statistically. And so it's still okay to present that. Like, I think you lead with how unusual a thing it is that happened, because it is the kind of danger that we over... There's a lot of statistics around how bad we are at, what is it called, like defining danger. That, for example, like... People are very afraid of, let's say, kids playing with guns, but they're not very afraid of swimming pools. People are like, I'd rather drive than fly. Statistically, your chances of being injured in an auto accident are exponentially huger. But it's just something that where our brains aren't very good at. Right. And so, but then our kids must do that. And it occurs to me as you're saying this, right? Like if we're like dum-dums who think it's, <laughs> that you're more likely to die in a plane crash than in an automobile accident, then our kids must be, it's much more likely that the same thing could happen to me tomorrow since it just happened to somebody else. Yeah. So, you know, with what happened to us, I did constantly say, 
there is no chance this is really going to happen to you. This is one of the most unusual things that has ever happened, and it happened in our community, and that is very surprising and upsetting. But it is okay to say it is not going to happen to you. It is very, because it is so rare that it ever happens, you know? Well, let's talk about the kind of situation where, let's say, I don't know, let's say you live in the Northwest and there's wildfires and you can't say this will never happen to you because, you know, there is, that's when you move to, that there's a plan. I'm quoting Maria Alvarez from Common Sense Media here. She says, lead with safety, lead with you are safe, you are safe right now, right? And that we have a plan. And here's what the plan is. If you have this sort of thing and it's close to you and it's a possibility of more than 0.000, right? Then you have to talk about the plan. Yes. It's not, I don't mean like you will move to point B and you will carry this you know, backpack, and, you know, like just vague, but just like, I got it. You know, let me show you how much mommy's got it. I got it. It's going to be okay. And we're going to do this. And I know what we're going to do. Yes. One more thing I think that helps in the listening to the news and figuring out how to help your kids with it and making it better is kids process a lot of stuff through play, especially young kids. Yes, yes. That play can be disturbing. When your beloved Aunt Gertrude dies suddenly and you are very upset and you take your kids to the funeral and then later on you come home and your kids are pretending to be Aunt Gertrude and they're like burying themselves in the backyard or whatever way they're disturbingly playing out this. Even if they are playing out something as upsetting to you as a school shooting or a lockdown drill, like it can be very upsetting to us as adults to be like, wait, that's not play. That's not acceptable things. That is how children work through scary feelings. And so allowing kids to talk about it, play around it. You might say like, listen, that's not reverent enough in whatever case. If you think they're really kind of joking about something in a way that's inappropriate, it's okay to step in. But realize that like fear and trauma comes out of kids in some unusual ways. That's what I would put in your path. I have a quote on this. I saw this and I thought about this because we had talked about this at one other point. So Tara Conley, she's a media researcher. She said that play is how kids process. It's how they reconstruct and it's how they reassure themselves. Yes. right. It's how they make sense of it. And she made this really interesting parallel. She said it's like when adults make memes and you know, put them on the internet and share memes about events. That's how we play, deconstruct, make sense and put it all together. That's all the kids are doing. They're making memes in the backyard with their friends. I think it's good to remember because you may see little kids playing in ways that upset you. Like, wait a minute, you shouldn't be playing around something that's so, you know, they shouldn't be playing like we're, oh, we're in a falling building, you know, like because it seems to you that, oh, that's not funny. That's not something to play about. They're processing a fear about that by doing that. So, Similarly, slightly older kids may be a little bit more like they may have a tendency to kind of joke about it or speak about it irreverently. And it's just something to keep in mind that what they're doing is processing it. You know how The Onion puts out the same, they have a headline, no way to prevent this, says the only nation where this regularly happens. They put out the same... When there's a shooting, yes. ...article after every... Sh- I think it started after Newtown, and they put it out after every mass shooting, and it's it's inappropriate with the point, right? Like, it's, so I'm like that's kind of what they're doing. I just had never thought of it that way before. Like, oh, they are doing a version of that when they are playing out this event. I love the meme parallel, because that's it. Like, people have to process trauma. And we like to think that that looks like dabbing a handkerchief at their eyes while, (laughs) 
you know, walking well, slowly. Yeah. <laughs> but that's really not what it's going to look like in your 13-year-old. And that's really not what it's going to look like in your 7-year-old. That's a really good point. And fear. Because I'm even if it didn't directly happen to them, I think, you know, an event like Newtown, 9-11, things that I would put in this category of like outside our imagination events. Like this could never happen. Mm, until it did. Right, right, right. And it involves people acting with a part of their human self that we would put outside of the bounds of possibility, basically. You know, like no one would ever do this. It's too awful. When we feel that way, it is very hard for us to protect our kids because it's like you're never going to square that circle. And I think that that's important, too, is not getting stuck in the place of, you know, we had a lot of counselors say to me, you're never going to explain to your kids why this happened because there's no logic to it. How could you ever explain And it's okay to say that. Like, I will never be able to understand this, but we are safe. And here's how we're going to process it. So that's how they, I was going to ask that when your kids say, why did this happen? Did they have advice? Do you just say, I don't know? Yeah, I would just say it's really, really, really hard to understand. It's something that I don't think we could ever really understand. But here's, you know, some things about it that we maybe do understand as much information as we do have. But there's a missing piece that we'll never really understand. And the other thing that comes up a lot, and this is, I think, an also very important to think about, is that kids make everything about themselves. Right, 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 right. So it's going to be like, will this happen at my school? Will this happen in our family? And sometimes you think like, wait, this could never happen because it's me, it's dad, it's whatever, you know, like bad stuff could never happen to us, you know? They don't see it that way. When their friend's parents get divorced, their first question is not, is my friend okay? Their first question is, is this going to happen to my parents? Paul Underwood wrote an article for the New York Times about this. And he said, I thought this was a good point to make, that even kids older than seven have this, you know, self-centered approach, right? If kids are younger than seven, they really are developmentally thinking that way. But he said even kids older than seven are still primarily focused on how the current events will affect them and you as their protector. Right. So you're going to protect me. But if the protector is not safe, then what happens to me? It makes sense. That's right. And it is difficult. Let's say you have a mom in your town who dies in a car accident. Let's say your kid's primary thought for the next several months is, what if my mom dies like so-and-so's mom did, you know? And that is so important in terms of how they're processing it. And like, it's hard. You really can't say that could never happen to me. It could technically happen to you. But you just have to say like, listen, the odds of this happening are extremely low. I'm safe driving, you know, and just a lot of reassurance. There are a couple of things that we shouldn't do, I have discovered that, and I've definitely done some of these things. Can we go through these? Yes. Talking about with the best of intentions, we can present something that happened about like, sometimes there's, it was a bad guy who did this thing, right? Sometimes there's evil in the world. You know, we might try to reach for the sort of fairy tale explanations to make it more, I don't know, yes, palatable and understandable for our kids, but that will actually potentially increase their fear. Don't talk about you know, bad or evil, you can talk about somebody, you know, needed help, somebody's brain was confused, you know, you can put things like that, but not like, yeah, 
you know, there's good and bad in this world and you need to understand it's time you understood that, son. That's not going to help you get them to a more secure place. Agree. It's so much of that stuff is wanting that distance, right? Yeah. The other version is, I mean, this is something that counselors talk to us a lot about. Use real words, right? This person died. This person was killed, whatever it is, that not like this person is just gone or they're sleeping Mm. or they're, you know, it's so hard because when things like, you know, if you're speaking about, well, what happened at Sandy Hook? The thing to say is that a person came into the school with a gun and killed a lot of people. Mm. And that's, I don't like to say that now. It's a painful sentence to say out loud, but it's better than if you just attack it head on, then you can handle it. But when you try to squirrel it off, what you're kind of accidentally saying to your kid is like, we can't handle the truth of this. It's too scary and too big. Right. And man, it is so hard. I'm emotional just saying those words out loud. But like what happened on 9-11 is that people stole planes and flew them into the building and killed everybody on board. Like, it's horrible. You don't want your kids to know that. But I would bite the bullet and say it as calmly and as directly as you possibly can and then start from there. Because if you start from the squirrely place, then you squirrel your way through the whole thing, you know? There was some advice that Common Sense Media gave about, you know, that moment that happens. You're at the playground with your kids and your phone dings and you look at it and you say, (gasps) and they're like, what, what, what happened? What happened? Right. And you're immediately, oh, great. Now I'm in the position of explaining you know, a building fell, whatever, that that's the moment that you need to say a building fell and some people got hurt, but it's not anybody that we know. Mm-hmm. A building fell and some people got hurt, but it's very far away. Like you need to explain it simply and answer the question that's asked, right? That's the other thing. We talk about that all the time. Answer the question that was asked. If they want to know how hurricanes work, you don't have to talk about how climate change is slowly you know, killing our planet. Don't make it bigger. Don't make it more dangerous and more scary. And sometimes, I mean, mental illness is a thing. You know, don't give them the 10-page explanation when a one-sentence explanation will do for the moment to help them feel reassured. Absolutely. And I will say, through my experience, that kids can handle really, really, really hard things. And it stinks when they have to, but... They can, you know, and they do and they will. And it's whatever details I squirreled out on, they heard at recess, you know. And so that's the only thing your kids are going to learn the details of everything that has happened on the news from somebody. And I would suggest that person be you because it's a lot easier for them to process and have tears and have horror and have whatever emotions they need to have in your living room or in their bedroom with surrounded by their stuffies than standing on the recess table, having a kid be like, so here's what really happened and giving them some like very upsetting details where they don't have that support. So lean in. It's really hard. Let's take a break. When we come back, let's talk about how to make the news into potentially a good thing in our families and with our kids. Sure. Why not? (laughs) I dare you. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. 
Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different Different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L U M E N dot M E. Lumen.me and use the code Fresh at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Amy, when I'm dehydrated, I get headaches, I get cranky, and I don't feel good in general. Also, I am dehydrated a lot of the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> because being good with the water bottle is one thing, but getting that sodium and potassium with the fluids, turns out that is the key to saying optimally hydrated. So whether you're looking to hydrate during your workout, while traveling, or at the end of a long night, Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes have got you covered with over 65 trace minerals, seven essential vitamins, and coconut water powder. Crisp and refreshing without any sugar, this is hydration powered by Sports Research. Each box has 16 little stick packs that you can take on the go, whether you're headed to an exercise class, a night out with friends, or a podcasting conference. And did we mention they come in delicious flavors from raspberry lemonade to cherry pomegranate? Stay hydrated with Sports Research Hydrate Electrolytes. Visit sportsresearch.com and use the code WHATFRESH at checkout for 50% off your purchase of Hydrate. That's S-P-O-R-T-S-R-E-S-E-A-R-C-H.com, sportsresearch.com, and use code WHATFRESH for 50% off your Hydrate Electrolytes order. And now, a list of things that used to be fine, but now your tween finds totally embarrassing from the What Fresh Hell podcast. Putting notes in their lunchbox. Could you stop doing that? Asking them how their day was. Can we talk about this later? Being seen in public with you in any context. Could you just stand a little farther away from me? Any form of singing. We're not gonna take it. No! Oh, Mom, please it. stop. Preparing their favorite foods. I don't like chocolate chip pancakes anymore. Smiling of any sort. Cut that out, please. Your humorous use of emojis. Heart eyes. Really, Mom? Making conversation with their friends. This is so embarrassing. Trying to take their picture. Are you done? This is so humiliating. Giving them a ride to school. I'll just walk from here. Attempting to discuss current bands. Seriously, I don't even know who One Direction is. The way you breathe. It's very annoying. This has been a list of things that used to be fine, but now your tween finds totally embarrassing. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. Hey, honey, that's as cool as Gryffindor. I've never been so embarrassed in all my life. Okay, so we've so far talked about like how the news is something to, you know, to hold back and put in a box and like tell it in one sentence and keep moving, right? But... Is there a way for us to work with the news to make it something that can be a positive thing in our family and something that we can maybe control a little more so it isn't always sort of Hodor, like, don't look at page six? Yes. Should we talk first about how to make news a positive part of our family or how to make 
accidental news exposure less a part of our family? What would you like to start with? It's a positive part because I think that one part of it is the expectation that you will hear the news was a part of my life growing up. And I think because it has become siloed, it is something that is not as much a part of my kid's life. And I think I need to get on that a little bit more. Yeah. Like, hey, we should be at the dinner table be like, hey, what was in the news today? Yeah, that's a good way to start, right? One piece of advice that I read was that if you're looking at something on your phone, I mean, our kids, this is a huger problem. And our friend Susan Dominus wrote an article for the New York Times where she gave one of like the great pieces of parenting advice for this era that I've ever read, which is narrate what you're doing on your phone. All your kid does is you distracted by your phone. That's all they say. So you need to say, you know, mom's just looking at how we're going to get to this gas station and then I'm going to put my phone away, whatever it is. So news is another opportunity where you can narrate. If you're reading a story on your phone, Tell them about it with context, you know, help them understand mom is reading the news and talk to them about why it's important to be informed about what's going on in the world. But maybe also then I look at this, I understand what's going on in the world, but then I put it away for a while. I don't need to worry about this all the time, say I, who spends hours a day on Twitter. (laughs) Like they're watching that. So you can, you know, sort of model better habits, but also sort of narrate your consumption of the news and how an adult does this. Yeah, and I think it's very interesting. I just had never occurred to me before we started talking about this, the fact that we had a living room in a house that we all, you know, were in the same place, and my parents watched the nightly news. So we were kind of exposed to the news. My kids have none of that experience. They really don't watch anything news related. They watch, you know, the world could be burning around them. And they're like, have you seen this guy on YouTube who could catch a Frisbee with his mouth? Like that's, (laughs) they're so outside of that, you know? And I think it is interesting. Like, should we be occasionally when there's big news going on, we will have like CNN on on one of the computer. We don't actually have a TV that is we cut the cord. You know, we don't even have like a TV that you could go over and turn the news on on. But we'll stream CNN at some points, I guess, to see what's going on. But I wonder if it would be worth having, I don't know, having something on in the background at some point. Oh, that's so funny because the advice and maybe it's kind of dated advice. This was advice, you know, from 2017. There was a huge media study, the American Association of Pediatrics. And they're like, turn the TV off. Like when you're watching it, watch it. When you're not watching the TV, turn it off. That, you know, most American households report just having this sort of TV just on all the time. It's just background noise. Well, that I agree with. That I agree with. You shouldn't have it running all day. But I wonder if like, if sometimes if it's like the challenger blows up or something that you would say like, oh, let's all watch a half an hour of this together. And like we can hear the information together and talk it through together versus because I'm thinking, you know how we talk sometimes about like, I'm always the person who has to be like, put the shoes away, put the this away. Blah, blah. And then I'm also now the person who has to be like a building collapsed. Several <laughs> people were injured. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to always be the person telling them the news that seems like a bad job but how are they getting it otherwise I don't really know right and I think we have to do a little bit of work like there are excellent news formats for kids I'll put links in the show notes common sense media came up with a great list like these are websites where 
kids can learn about the news that are age appropriate, that are non-sensationalized, that are accurate. And there's also like, I think a podcast is a great way to listen to the news because it's a more careful exploration usually, right? It's more nuanced. And there's, again, there's great ones for kids, for teenagers that explain this stuff to them. And you have to go looking for it, right? Because the kid who can catch a Frisbee with his mouth on YouTube is much more interesting than let's listen to, you know, this story about why is it getting more hot in the Northwest? It's not as, you know, sexy for sure. No, not as fun. But this stuff exists. And I do think we it's probably more important than ever that we give our kids some sort of media literacy. Like, how do you get accurate information and where do you go to get it? For sure. And the other place this does happen, and I will say this does happen, but it's something to lean in on a little bit, is the family meal. So if we're having nightly family meal, one of the things that happens at that meal is my husband and I will discuss the news in front of our kids, you know, and I think that that's a good place, although it would take a little bit more lean in now that my kids are older to be like, wow, coronavirus is really spiking in the U.S., whatever, lean in a little bit more on not, it's against our instinct to bring up a bad, scary story, but we got to have these conversations at a certain point because I realized I was letting my kids do lockdown drills for two years in school. I was at the school for one, I have to say, God bless them. Not a criticism of the school, but like I'm huddled with a bunch of seven-year-olds in a closet and I was like crying like, oh my God, like this is what my kids are doing in school. But And one of the kids was coughing and the kids were like, shh, you have to be quiet in case the robber comes. And I'm like, is it better for them to think it's a robber? I don't know, you know? Like, do I want to sit down and be like, the reason you're doing that is because here is the history of school shootings in the United States, not with a seven-year-old. Not with a seven-year-old, right. And maybe not with an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old. But at the same time, I do, now I realize like I've kind of never talked about it with my almost 13-year-old, you know? Right. It's hard to just on a Tuesday be like, today, right. school shootings, you know? Who wants to do that? But I think you got to challenge yourself to bring it up at some point because it's not that they're not going to hear about it. With older kids, I think it's about asking, what have you heard about this? You know, start with an open-ended thing, right? And then mm. answer the question that was asked and, you know, work on the stuff that they know because you will be surprised. I have been surprised over and over again with the sense that my kids make. My oldest kid told me after their first few lockdowns at school that the kids had talked about it and decided because nobody was telling them why they were doing it, just that they were. And he told me they decided it was probably an earthquake. That was probably what this was all in preparation for in case there was an earthquake. We live in New York City. And I continued to let him think that because that seemed to me to be a cognitive dissonance. If the kids as a group had decided it was for an earthquake, I thought that's not a bubble I should burst for these children. But we talked more about it later. But that bubble's going to burst someday and you're not going to know which day. So I think that introducing it lightly and early and then kind of often is probably the way to go so that it's kind of like sex ed, right? Like you're not going to give a diagram to a six-year-old and explain everything about sex to a six-year-old. But you are going to start to introduce the idea that like babies come from mom and mm-hmm. dad when they, you know, are in love. <laughs> Just have Margaret come over to your house. Whatever it is. However you start. <laughs> I don't know. The- Listen, I'm freestyling here. It's not going great. But you know what I mean? You start with like a simple concept for a kid. But then as my kids are 11 and 12... Every time anything about sex comes up, I'm like, I lay it out really specifically. And then my 10-year-old is almost always like, 
We just had a baby born in the family. Well, how do they know when the baby's coming? Because she's having a C-section. I said, there's two ways a baby can come out. I went into like quite graphic detail about it. And he goes, wow, am I sorry I asked that question? (laughs) (laughs) But I do think I'm team lean in to like, listen, you can't scare kids and you can't be too graphic, but I'm team lean into any opportunity to talk about it frankly and use the right words. That's the hardest part. I have a quote from Dr. Jenny Radetzky. She is with the American Association of Pediatrics that is sort of news positive that I wanted to read to you because I thought this is a helpful framework. We should show our kids, she says, that the news is not just attention grabbing or scary or sometimes entertaining. It's a resource for making us better team players in our neighborhoods and our world, especially when we can really digest together what is going on and then think of solutions. That's the sort of positive spin we can put on this when we talk at the dinner table about like what's going on. Read it one more time. I want to hear it again. We should show our kids that the news isn't just scary or entertaining or attention grabbing. It's a resource for making us better team players in our neighborhood and in our world, especially when we can really digest what is going on and then think of solutions. That's great. I think it implies a little bit more agency than we often have. You know what I mean? Like, sure. I think that's right. But I also think there's a little bit of reality about how much agency we have. Like, is our house suddenly going to fall down? Very unlikely. Very unlikely. But there are ways to encourage action about things that concern or motivate them. I mean, are you going to put on a hard hat and, you know, go down to the site yourself? No. But can you send a card to the families. And there are things that you can do with the family. I wouldn't put this on your kids, but if your kid, if my kid came to me and said, I just can't stop thinking about all those dogs and cats that were in that building and how all those pets died. Like, oh, okay. I see what you're saying. Like, what do you think we could do about that? What can we do to make the world a better place for pets? You know, whatever it is your six-year-old is fixated on. Yeah, let's get some blankets together and do a blanket drive and bring them. I think that's right. Yeah. I think that's very right. And I think... You don't want to do this with everything that happens. Mm. You know, you don't want to make every situation about kids. But I think in the big picture, if your kids are very worried about climate change and climate change is one of them, it's a little bit. I get what they're going for. And I think climate change is super important. But like every time we go on a field trip, it's like the aquarium movie is always like, look at the beautiful penguin. It is now wrapped in plastic (laughs) and dying because of climate change. And I was like, I get that we're trying to get the kids on board with this, but could we maybe just have a couple of ones that are just about the penguin? But let's say that they are upset about that. That is something where you're like, let's be really good to the earth, you know, and let's figure this out and let's do a recycling thing at the school. And I think finding action can be really helpful, but it's obviously not that like every night you're watching the news and be like, how can we solve this? They're not all your problems. Today's action step. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not today's action step. Exactly. <laughs> well said. I think, did we solve this? I think we came up with some solutions adjacent things. I think we solved it in terms of like, it's really hard. Your kids can handle much more than you think. Your kids know much, much more than you think they do, no matter what age they are. And so it is your job to inform them very frankly, and then to help them contextualize and get through it. That's what we're doing. And that's going to actually work. Yep. Lead with reassurance. No matter what comes. Yep. Well said. Guys, are you following us on Instagram? We are so close to 5,000 followers on Instagram. And it just, it would make me happy. We're so close. Please make Amy happy. She loves the Insta. 
And once we get to like a lot of followers, so we can. I want the swipe up, guys. Come follow us on Instagram at What Fresh Hellcast. That's your job today. Go yeah. synthesize the news and follow us on Instagram, friends. <laughs> right. That's your assignment. Right. Provide context there. <laughs> we'll talk to you next time. Have a good week, friends. So long. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact impended. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was... Steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it.